Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Joe. Good evening, Charles. Joe, another fantastic series of games, I think, to be honest with you. Probably one there that many people would consider an upset and another one that maybe went the way that people expected but we were certainly treated to some great dramatic football I think. Yeah I didn't think the Chiefs were going to lose that and I especially didn't think they were going to lose that when they were 21-3 up going into the half. No absolutely not so should we kick off there then should we start on the Bengals and the Chiefs you make a really good point. They were absolutely dominant in the first half. The O-line of the Bengals was just letting the Chiefs get to Burrow every single time. And we discussed last week how the Bengals are a team that like to elongate plays. They like to let plays run so that they can get those big yardage plays uh, and Burrow can release Chase. That wasn't happening in the first half because the Chiefs were just on them non-stop. But totally different story in the second half. And I think part of that, you have to look towards Burrow and his ability to escape the pocket. That's just it. When you were saying there's a different story in the second half, I was going to say, hang on a minute. The pressure was still there. The pressure was still there and the O-line was still very suspect. But Burrow was managing to wiggly worm his way out of it. I can't think of the exact distance and down of what the play was, but there was a play that I remember sticks in my head. Near the start of the second half, Burrow somehow managed to shake off a sack. I think Chris Jones shook it off, turned around and hit Chase for about 15 yards on the right touchline. Had no business at all making that play, had no business at all still being on his feet, but he did. And it's this we've just seen more and more from Joe Burrow as his season has gone on. Because he hasn't had much help from his line. But when the chips are down, he's just making the right decisions with his feet. Now, he's going through his progressions, right? We've seen that. We know he can do it. We know he's not airing the ball out and doing stupid things. But to have that self-confidence and to know when you can just extend the play for an extra couple of seconds, half seconds, and not have to throw the ball out. But equally throw the ball out at the right times. He didn't do that so much last week. He ate a few sacks. But on the whole, Burrow's just been so good in that regard all through the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, you've got to say hats off to the Bengals defense in that second half also. You know, they really stepped up in a big, big way. And uh, it's quite ironic because I think Mahomes ended up looking like Burrow looked in the first half. He was being forced back time and time again in that second half and even into overtime. Yeah, and I think that the key play there was the overtime drive. There was, you know, shades of what happened in the previous week when Mahomes had led the Chiefs down the field. Looked like it was an ominous, almost foregone conclusion when he was getting into a red zone. And again, the key play there was a play that Mahomes fumbled on where he had all day. He, he literally had all day. I'm not sure how long it was, but it, it had to have at least been four seconds, nearly five seconds. But every single receiver was covered and then they still managed to get the pressure on him for the sack fumble. Chiefs recovered, did the kick. But that play by itself, you were taking Butker out of what was a chip shot range into bona fide field goal range. The defence could have feasibly won it with that play. They didn't, but they still managed to stop him from getting the TD to open up overtime, which again, just, you know, harking back to previous things, we saw what happened against the Bills last week. That must have been in the minds of some of the players, but they put it past and uh, managed to get a stop. Yeah, and I think I know that people are always looking for a reason what went wrong, but it can often be quite hard to identify the specifics in a scenario like that. 
you've got to say hats off to the Bengals. They covered their men expertly, uh, certainly in the second half of the game and overtime. You have to say, does some of that blame land on the offense of the Kansas Chief there, not being able to either run the correct routes or not being able to lose their coverage? And then also Mahomes, you've identified it there, not the correct, not the smartest move in that instance. So it feels like it was a bit of a, a multifaceted letdown. I think you look at the second half Chiefs and it's easy to just go, oh, Mahomes crumbled, the Chiefs crumbled. But I think there's probably quite a few factors at play there, including the impressive defense from the Bengals. Yeah, and I don't really like the term crumbles because had Mahomes made a play, had someone got open in the last few seconds of a game, Chiefs could have scored a touchdown. We could be talking here about how they had a bit of a scare, but how they overcame it and they're through to their third Super Bowl in as many years. Crumble, I think, is the wrong word, but the execution just went out the window. They were just slick. Everything was working. Everything they were doing was at a high level in that first half. And then they got sloppy in the second half, dropped catches. Mahomes forcing the ball. There was that screen pass where the pass was never on. He forced it. Ball got tipped. Interception. Momentum shifted. Meanwhile, Bengals are starting to come back into it. Burrow's making things work. Where they weren't executing in the first half, they're executing now. If the Chiefs had executed all the way through the game, they would have won and they'd have probably won comfortably. Again, it's not a crumble, but it is something that they need to have a look at because there were a number of games, like I mentioned last week, there were a number of games where they let the execution go during several portions, you know, several quarters throughout the season were bad execution quarters for them. Sure. And then I, I suppose the conspiracy of the week, Joe, was that a mix and fumble or not? I'm just going to say straight out, no. Do you have any different view there? Well, you're probably better placed with your knowledge of the rules than I am. But to me, regardless of whether he was touched, wasn't he already on his knees by the time that the ball had actually come out and therefore the ball's not in play anymore? No. So what you're saying there is that if you go to your knees, you can recover and get back to your feet. And then you're basically still in play if you haven't been touched when you were actually on your knees. Now, he wasn't touched when he was on his knees, so he wasn't tackled. So he went down of his own volition, got up, no touching occurred. So he's still technically a live player if you're going to go down that road. But the rule that overcomes all of this is that if you surrender the play, if you give yourself up and you're no longer attempting to make yardage, the play is dead. You can surrender the play, and that is a rule. I think that it was Chad Johnson who had something similar happen about 11 years ago, playing for the Bengals, and there was a controversial call like this where he'd basically given up a play, dropped the ball, he hadn't actually been tackled, and there was a whole lot of controversy around that. If you give yourself up and you basically announce that the play's dead, the play's dead, you don't have to be tackled to end the play. Okay, well, there you go. That seems pretty straightforward to me. So it is straightforward, and it's disappointing, really, that Andy Reid kind of questioned it. Andy Reid is someone who I think a lot of people like and a lot of people have got time for. And he's always carried himself pretty well. But I think that in that moment, if he had that time back, he probably wouldn't have made that claim. Not just because he's wrong, but it came across slightly as a bit bitter when uh, the better team won. Yeah, so look, we had a close game there. A really exciting game. Another overtime game. And it's funny that we were discussing the rules of overtime. And here we are face this week with a team that won the toss. I mean, the crowd erupted in that stadium when Mahomes won the toss and it didn't pan out for them this time around. But 
that's the excitement of the NFL, I suppose. And I think we're going to have either way, whichever team went through, you're going to have a great opponent going through to the Super Bowl. So hats off to the Bengals, commiserations to the Chiefs. It was a close, well-fought game by both teams. Um, Shall we move on to our next game and talk about San Fran and the Rams? San Fran and the Rams. Look, I've... I feel that in a way I've been harsh on Stafford through the season, but again, I'm standing firm on what I'm saying. Stafford, one season away from the Lions, first season with the Rams, he's gone and got to Super Bowl. So on one hand, I think that vindicates a lot of the people who have been, you know, jumping on his bandwagon and saying he's the best thing since sliced bread. I still hold my argument, though, that he's not elite. He's prone to the mistake, and those mistakes can be extremely costly, as we've seen in several games this season. But I just want to say that I have been consistently kind of on Stafford's back, so maybe maybe I've been too harsh on him this season. What would you say, Charles? Do you think I've been too harsh, or do you see it the same way as me? Um, no, I think I think you've been fair, I would say. Look, I think even with what he has achieved, I think you'd be hard-pushed to say that he is elite i mean didn't he have in regular season one of the worst touchdown to interception ratios or certainly he was one of the most intercepted quarterbacks this season he surely must have gave up the most pick sixes i I can't think of many quarterbacks who gave us many pick sixes as as he did And, and so i think you have to say look the connection he seemingly has with cup is phenomenal and seeing that partnership in play is fantastic and it has been really enjoyable this season but he is not without his errors and giving up silly silly interceptions and a couple of times that has cost the rams but as we've said first season away from the lions he's going to super bowl hats off to him he has been magical in moments but I think I agree with you in that the thing that is preventing him from being in that elite category is just his familiarity with making mistakes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, talking about the game itself, one of the things that I thoroughly enjoyed as the neutral, I loved how almost 50-50 that stadium was. You'd be hard pushed to know which the home team was in that stadium if you were going off fans alone. It was an absolute split of red and blue. The noise was wild for both sides. It felt like a proper playoff game, didn't it? It really did. And, you know, it's a great stadium there. Brand new stadium. I think it's going to be a great venue for the Super Bowl in two weeks' time. Why don't we talk then very briefly, because the Rams are going through to the Super Bowl, they will go on to play the Bengals, about how these are two, would you say, quite different teams? They've approached it in very different ways, but they've both got to the same result? 100%, Charles. The Bengals are very much a team that's been built through the draft and built through the draft very quickly. You know, you've obviously got Burrow from last season and Jamar Chase from this year. But, you know, taking another year back, you've got T Higgins in there, Logan Wilson, players who have come in as starters this season. Tyler Shelvin, Tyler Shelvin, who at the end of the game there, another LSU player, recreated that famous photo of Burrow on his shoulders. And then can't fail to mention Evan McPherson as well. He's been an absolute key component of his playoff run. So uh, very much so built this team through a draft. You know, there have been a couple of big free agency splashes. Uh, you know, Hendrickson, he wasn't cheap. They've spent the cash in areas, but they've done it prudently. You look at this Rams team, on the other hand, they've mortgaged the future for sure with all the picks they've kind of traded out to bring in the players they have. You know, bringing in Von Miller, bringing in Odell Beckham Jr. It's a team that's been primarily 
And I think that is fair to say, primarily built through free agency and trades. Stafford, you look at how many picks they gave up for Stafford. This is a team that won't be drafting many players for the next couple of years because of all the capital we've invested in free agents and trades this year. So very, very different way how these teams have kind of built. And looking going forward, whatever happens, whatever happens on Sunday in two weeks' time, Bengals, you've got to say, are in the strongest position by a long way. Bengals have a Super Bowl team, a team that has gone to Super Bowl. I think they've got about 60 million in cap space. The Rams, not so much. And the Rams, like I said, they don't have too many premium draft picks over the next couple of years. So when you're in Super Bowl, you've got to win. You've got to win. But it's almost as if the Rams have to win it that little bit more because it's all about the now for them. Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment. And of course, we've got, I believe, the youngest head coaching matchup in Super Bowl history with Sean McVay at 36 and Zach Taylor at 38. Is that so? I didn't hear that stat, but that wouldn't shock me at all. But it it shows how the league's been going in the last few years with the types of coaches who have been in vogue, so to speak, the, you know, McVay copies. Yeah, and so you talked about some of those moves that the Rams have made and, and how the Bengals have rebuilt through the draft a team that isn't going to be in Super Bowl but I just briefly wanted to mention uh, has to be the Browns I just want to talk about the pain they must be experiencing at the moment not only are they going to see a divisional rival the Bengals go to Super Bowl in a route that quite frankly is the route that the Browns tried to go down they had the number one quarterback pick in Baker Mayfield the Bengals have gone and got Burrow with their number one pick when they were drafting. And not only that, but then you've got Odell Beckham Jr., who has forced his way off this Bengal side and onto the Rams side, who's also seeing himself go to the Super Bowl. That's got to be a tough watch, right? That's got to be a tough watch. And <laughs> you could probably say the same for, uh, I'll take your Browns and I'll raise you the Lions. <laughs> Stafford has now gone over to the Rams and Eminem will be playing the halftime show. So it's so it's, it's, it's going to be heavily Detroit themed, but alas, no Lions in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think that there is one thing that I'd, I'd like to say about that as well. I was not a big fan of how Odell Beckham forced his way off that Browns team. I didn't really like it very much. And there's a part of me that is feeling a bit uneasy about all the plaudits that, you know, rightfully he's receiving for certainly his involvement in this game against the 49ers. But where there's a yin, there's a yang. And you've got to say the way in which Deshaun Jackson forced his way off the Rams team this season sort of balances it out a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, Deshaun Jackson, he's not someone who I think the show is a particular fan of. So we won't dwell on him. ODB, I'm going to ask you an impossible to answer question, Charles. But if Bobby Trees was healthy, do you think that OBJ is incrementally better than what Bobby Trees would have been? Or is he just there and, uh, I guess, fortunate to be there? Is he fortunate to be there or are the Rams fortunate to have him had Bobby Trees not been injured? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely correct in that it's an impossible question to answer because we will never know. We'll never know. My inclination is that the way in which Stafford and Cup are connecting so far this season has defences so concerned about that that I don't know if what Odell Beckham Jr. is doing would be that much greater than what Robert Woods would do. 
I think he has been blessed by the fact that defences have to be so concerned with Cup that OBJ can make these big plays from time to time. That's how I kind of see it as well. And again, like I say, we can never be sure. We can never be certain. This is a very hypothetical conversation. But to add to it, we, we haven't really seen plays from Beckham Jr. that I guess what you call vintage plays, these kind of New York Giants, spectacular, mesmerizing, show-stopping plays. Haven't really seen that. He's been running good routes. He's been reliable. He hasn't been dropsy. But uh, he's coming to that team. I, I, I don't see him being a superstar difference maker, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. Let's talk about the other side then. Let's talk about the 49ers for a brief moment. They put up a great fight. You know, they were in the lead for quite a period of this matchup. I thought that uh, defensively they did quite well to hold the Rams to what they did. Let's talk briefly about Garoppolo because it is going to be the talking point for most 49ers fans and probably a lot of neutrals as well. Well, Sky have made it a talking point. I'm generally not a hater on the coverage they have on Sky. I think that it's normally relatively well-balanced. It's normally well-informed. And it's normally it's normally quite middle of the road. But I, but, but I just feel that they've really gone in on Jimmy G, even when he was winning in the playoffs a week or two back. Yeah, so... It very much looks like, from everything that we're hearing, that Lance is going to lead the team next season. What do you think that offers the 49ers? What What do you think that changes, if it changes anything dramatically? Really, really hard to say. This is a Shanahan team. It's you know a primarily run-first team. I think that perhaps that's... I'm not going to say more important, because it's not more important. Your quarterback is more important. But what's perhaps going to be maybe more interesting is who they go with and who they stick with at running back. This season was supposed to be Raheem Moster. Elijah Mitchell came in, you know, a sixth-round pick. You know, there were expectations of him being in a Shanahan team, but not high expectations, but he's come in and been extremely effective. You've got Trey Sermon there, but he's perhaps uh, had a few fumbling issues. Who they go with at running back will be, I think, just as interesting to watch out for. How his team plays, how they look. Again, really hard to say. We've seen a very limited number of games from Trey Lance. He's clearly probably more mobile than Jimmy G. That's not to say that Jimmy G can't shift when he needs to. He's shown hints that he potentially has a bigger arm. And if he can bring in you know, your superstars like Debo Samuel, a first-round pick like Brandon Ayakin, a little bit more, it could just open up the playbook a little bit more for this team. But I'm not going to make comparisons between Jimmy G, who has been solid, who has been solid if unspectacular, and compare him unfavorably to a rookie who's played less than 100 snaps. Yeah, and I think that is totally how everybody should be looking at this. We don't know what Lions has to offer this team yet. We haven't really had the opportunity to see it. Sure, he's come on for a few plays, and we've seen moments of what he can offer, but that is not representative of who he will be in a season-long format. And I think it does Jimmy J a disservice to instantly be looking towards that without saying this guy has got you all the way to the game before the Super Bowl with a team that many people thought he couldn't achieve that with so cut the guy a bit of slack and praise him for what he has done yeah now just before we move on towards the end Charles as most of our regular listeners will know we record a show on a Tuesday evening uh, breaking news right this moment and this is literally happening uh, right now news is just breaking that Brian Flores is suing the NFL and all 32 teams 
for racial discrimination in the head coach recruitment process. So allegedly, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick of all people, text Brian Flores instead of texting Brian DeBoll. He got his Brian's mixed up and he texted Brian Flores saying congratulations on getting the job a couple of days before Brian Flores actually interviewed with a team and then Brian DeBoll actually got the job itself. So the alleged story is that Brian DeBoll was given the job before Brian Flores even interviewed. Brian Flores was never going to get the job. It was a foregone conclusion because even Bill Belichick knew that Brian DeBoll had got the job. Now, how this ties into racial discrimination, I'm not quite sure at this stage and wouldn't want to comment on that. But that's a major news story that seems to be breaking right now. Yeah, and you've got to say that it, it looks, again, not sure what the link is, is to race at this stage. That might become more apparent as this story unfolds. But that aside, how is this news leaking to Belichick? And why has Flores not even been given the opportunity? It's not a good look for the NFL. So Brian Flores did get the interview, but it seems like it was a waste of time because everyone already knew that someone else had got the job, which is interesting. And it's going to be very awkward for a few people to answer questions on this. Where did Bill Belichick get his information from? Why did it happen so early? What did actually happen with the Giants recruitment process? Giants, obviously, brand new GM. They've got Joe Schoen. This would be an extremely, extremely bad start 10 days into his tenure. So... Let's see how this one plays out. But that's the breaking news this Tuesday evening. And then it feels like, and this partly might be because I've got a bone to pick with this guy, but can we also talk about Brady's retirement and how this was broken by Schefter? Because to be honest, Joe, after the way that Schefter released the Aaron Rodgers debacle on draft night, and now the fact that he's launched early with the Brady retirement, if I didn't like the man before, I just have zero respect left for him now. I'm surprised he's got a job, really, after how he handled the whole Rogers debacle. And I mean, as a journalist, the stories that you make shouldn't be about you. I've not done any uh, journalism schools, but I would have thought that's like journalism 101. You're reporting on the news, not making the news. And for him to, for him to cast that shadow like he did over draft day, for him to create that situation which let's be honest it took away from a lot of those players who were coming into the league that the story wasn't as much about Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, those guys as it should have been because Aaron Rodgers became the biggest news story. Yeah absolutely. We've been through this but it was unethical what he did and I think that anyone who looks who looks at it ob objectively can say that he behaved in a very unethical manner. Whatever has happened with this Brady retirement story no matter who his source was he wasn't 100% right because it didn't come from Brady. So he was reporting on speculation. And again, when you're an NFL insider, uh, self-appointed or league mandated, whatever you are, responsibility comes with that. And I just feel that he is someone who has acted with no responsibility on several occasions now. And whatever this NFL insider status is and however you obtain it, I don't believe that he's worthy of it. No, I agree because you're absolutely right you have these people throughout different leagues and different sports who are fed this information because they can be trusted and because they release the story. They're still normally the first to release the story, but they release it in a fashion that isn't detrimental, such as we've discussed Aaron Rodgers on draft night and Brady before Brady's even made the final decision. And he's got this trend now of either trying to be first with the story at the expense of 
who's been reporting on or even the veracity and the authenticity of what is being reported on or he's deliberately releasing stories in moments which are going to create the most drama and you then stop being a, a kind of useful source in that sense of the insider and it will be interesting to see if he continues to be that person or whether people stop feeding him information because he can't be trusted yeah yeah and again we're talking about this before we're talking about brady and we won't talk about brady for long because there is a multitude of news articles obituaries whatever you want to call it which are out there to talk about Brady's career. So go out there and read them. I recommend you do because there's a lot of interesting stuff which is out there. But you know my opinion, Charles. I truly believe that he is a GOAT if you can have such a thing. He is the best quarterback to ever play the game. People who say it's Joe Montana are bitter Brady haters who hate him for one way or the other. Maybe they're Jets fans. Who knows? But there's lots of reasons why Brady is statistically and through his career better than Joe Montana. Uh, no less that Joe Montana didn't leave the 49ers and go and win a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs. That never happened. Brady is the greatest that's ever played the game. And, and look, here's just one stat to kind of uh, put it into context. I and mean, this is all I'm going to say because we can talk about stats all day, a million things. But I read this in The Athletic today that if Patrick Mahomes continued at the rate that he's going at right now, and everyone's seen the rate that he's going at, it will take him until 2036, when he's at the age of 41 years old, to beat the passing and TD records that Brady holds. Wow. That's with no decline in his play, no injuries, and playing at the same rate that he has for his first uh, three or four seasons. Yeah, I mean, the man is an undoubted talent. We've been blessed to grow up in the Brady era yeah. and witness so many of these fantastic moments. So... It's a crying shame that he's leaving the league because, look, even as a Green Bay fan, I loved watching him play. And it'll be a, a shame not to see him on the field anymore. But what a fantastic career he has had. What a legacy he's left behind. And uh, wish him all the best with whatever he goes on to do next. Enjoy the retirement. Absolutely. Uh, down in Tampa now. <laughs> Nicer climate to retire in than New England, I imagine. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure if that really works for Giselle, though. I'm not sure if that's her kind of place. Let's see what happens there. <laughs> Joe, next week we'll catch up. We'll run through our previews of Super Bowl, maybe talk about some of the positional battles that we're looking to see or maybe some of the individual matchups. But we'll save all that for next week because we do still have Pro Bowl between now and Super Bowl in two weeks' time. Yeah, I don't think we'll be reporting too heavily on what happened at Pro Bowl. Maybe on the dodgeball, but uh, not on the game itself. <laughs> Until then, Joe, have a great weekend and we'll speak next week. Speak next week, Charles.